0: restore all brokenness, all broken hearts, all sin, all chains. We will all be set free. Uh, And Father, we look forward to your return. But in the meantime, fill us with your love so that we can go and spread your love to a world around us. Uh, Whatever our world looks like, help us to be able to spread and to show your love in our world's Ultimately, your world that desperately needs the love and grace of Jesus Christ. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. Um, well, that, that, new, like song? that new song. Yeah, that was really good. I, that really actually fits the message really good. So, um, how you guys doing today? It's good to see you here. Um, my name is Joe Davis. For those of you that don't know, I'm the pastor here at Grace Life, and um, we're continuing this series on the life of Joseph, and we've called it "Surviving in Egypt." And uh, the idea behind it is that Egypt is a metaphor for the world. And the idea of surviving Egypt is how we go through and survive in the world around us. So um, today, the message in number 23 in this series and we're almost done with it, just a few more weeks is called Saving Egypt. Now, let me just be real vulnerable with you here. Sometimes, in the quiet of my own thoughts, I'm discouraged by how many of my own choices have hindered my own kingdom work. And I can think of several pivotal decisions in my life that have hindered my desire and ability to serve Heavenly Dad effectively. And my family and my close friends. I mean, how much impact has my dysfunction and my sin had on those relationships? I feel the burden that my choices in Egypt, in the world, has created a full list of lost opportunities spiritually, personally, and frankly, in ministry. I mean, even now, how much does my own deficiency hinder grace life, this church? I mean, could it be bigger, more influential, maybe have more resources than we do? So those are just some of the thoughts that run through your pastor's head almost daily. (laughs) Can any of you relate to what I'm sharing in your own lives? It's like God had this beautiful, wonderful, perfect plan to use me or you to transform Egypt. But we messed it up. And now whatever impact we might have is just a mere shadow of what could have been had we just made the right choices. But here's what we learn from today's passage God is never hindered by our own deficiencies. God's plan and calling for our life is never derailed by our own sinfulness. Because, listen, walking by faith in Egypt is extremely complicated, it's filled with regret and guilt. Yet at the same time, we're trying by faith to live and strive in grace and mercy. He designed his plan to use us in Egypt, knowing full well that we were going to mess it up and have our own struggle in surviving Egypt. So just to let you know, I'm having a little problem with this computer today. I don't know what's going on with it, but um, so... If, I'm, if I get lost, it's because um, I can't see, and I'm using small print, and I'm old. <laughs> Otherwise, I would just use glasses, but I'm too proudful for that, so. so maybe it'll come up, maybe it won't. I don't know. Somebody can help me with it. Let me see. All right. Um, <clears throat> so what we like to do at Grace Life is we look at each passage of history. What about man? What did he do, and why and how did he do it? We look at the spiritual. What about God? What did he do? Why and how? Then we look at the personal. What about me? What am I supposed to do? And why and how do I do it? We're going to cover a lot of scripture today, like two chapters, but I'm not going to read it all. So let me start the history with this, okay? I want to talk about the fact that now Jacob, his family, Joseph's family, now become at home in Egypt. And Jacob is settling in Egypt. In chapter 46, the all of chapter 46 tells the story of the move from Canaan, the land that he was promised, to Egypt. And verses 1 through 8, there is a significant issue here in this Story of verses 1 through 8. Here he is leaving the land God promised his father, Abraham, and his sons. And I'm sure that Jacob is filled, Joseph's dad is filled with regret of the life that, has led, that he has led in this land of promise. This was a country God promised to give all of them. But somehow, Jacob says, I really screwed this up, didn't I? And now it seems maybe on the outside like God is undoing his eternal promise because Jacob has not lived up to the standard. He has failed. And it's a tough time for Jacob. But think about this. Why would actually Jacob feel this way? It's a famine. There's no food. Moving to Egypt is kind of like a no-brainer, isn't it? You got some feedback, Mike, if you could hit that. I mean, think about it. You got plenty of food. His son is best friends with Pharaoh. They got the Nile River, so there's water. Joseph runs the place. Yet some reason, Jacob is nervous and stressed. And halfway through his trip from Canaan to Egypt, he stops to connect with God. And God explains his plan. And he says, I am God, the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid. Go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Go into Egypt. Don't be afraid. I have a purpose for you being there. They need you. They need your family. I will use this time there to fulfill my promise to make you great, a blessing to all the world. And then verses 9 through 27 is an accounting basically of, now these are the sons that went. These were their children. These were their wives. These were their cattle. These were their donkeys. These were their poodles. And these are all the people that went. The whole family goes together to Egypt, everyone, there's no one left behind. Everybody abandons the camp, and they all go to Egypt. And then verses 28 to 34 are fascinating. First, 28 to 30 tell the story about how Jacob and Joseph are finally, after 25 years, reunited. And then, that's an emotional thing, but then we've got to get down to business. He prepares his family in verses 31 to 34. And here's what happens. Joseph tells them, declare to Pharaoh, when you get in front of him, you get ready to talk to the king, basically the civilized world, tell him you're shepherds. Now, even this seemingly obvious minor detail, well, of course they were shepherds. But it's a very important part of God's plan. Let me explain why. No full-blooded Egyptian wants to associate himself with an abominable shepherd. It's not like the beautiful idea that we have of shepherds in England with the rolling hills and the green pastures. It's not that kind of shepherding. There's no glamour. There's no beauty. There's no showers. They're they're just dirty Bedouin tent dwellers. But God is helping Jacob's family become a distinct subculture in Egypt, to be in Egypt, but separate from Egypt, but yet in Egypt, to influence, but not to be influenced. It also establishes this incredible theme that we see all throughout the New Testament of God's people being shepherds and Jesus as the great shepherd. Here's what it says. John Calvin has a great way of saying this. They will learn to cherish more fervently mutual union between themselves. They will begin to learn how to be God's people in the world, but not of the world. So that's where we are. Now we come to today's passage, Genesis 47, 1 through 12. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all their poodles that they possess. That's not in there. That's the King Joe version, the poodle part. I'm just assuming they brought the poodles. Have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph's brothers, what is your occupation? Joseph had prepared them for this question. And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them also in charge of my flock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh. And stood him before Pharaoh. Look at the next words. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh? Pharaoh? Wait a minute, shouldn't it be the king? And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of your, and years of your life? And Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. In other words, I'm 130 and I'm a total disaster. I have not lived up to Abraham. I've done shame to my family. I've been terrible. And then the scripture says, after he says all that, And then Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It tells us twice in two verses that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This is stunning. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. It's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? So Jacob meets Pharaoh. You might think that Jacob has been given an audience with the king, right? No. It is Pharaoh that has been granted by God's sovereign grace a meeting with the patriarch of God's people right before he dies. Jacob is visibly very advanced in age. Pharaoh asks him how old he is, and he describes his years as few and evil. He is feeling the burden of his own failures. Here is a man who has suffered from his brother's wrath, deservedly so, lost his mother because of the way he deceived his father. He spent time as an indentured servant to a very greedy, filthy uncle. And now, even after having a daughter who suffered rape, sons who thought nothing of murder, disrespect, deceit, and slave trading, This guy is flawed, depressed, humbled, broken, living with so much regret and guilt, maybe for the blessings that he has squandered. But even now, with all of that, and trust me, Pharaoh knew about all of it, he is about to experience the fulfillment of God's promise for his life, despite all of this dysfunction. God has begun to use Jacob and his ridiculous family to bless the earth and its most powerful king at the time. And then we have a blessed king. This is an undesirable shepherd family with a sordid past being used as the conduit for God's blessing and plan of grace for Egypt. After all, the debauchery, dysfunction, lack of wisdom, God uses the relationship and the friendship, the vulnerable friendship between Joseph and Pharaoh to allow an interaction with Joseph's dad that actually, from my opinion, saves Pharaoh. Like, he trusts the God of Jacob saves him. Not just spiritually, but also through Joseph's management of the famine, the king of Egypt the king of Egypt wants a blessing from this disgusting dysfunctional shepherd who's 130 years old what so then Jacob blesses Pharaoh. It's stated twice in the last three verses. This is evidence that Moses, the author of Genesis, says, listen, I want you guys to get this. You know all this stuff about Jacob and Joseph and the family and the brothers. You know all about that. I want you to get this. In the next two verses, I'm going to tell you twice. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And then there's some more news. My days are few and evil. I'm an absolute catastrophe. I'm a mess. And then after that, it says, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. So let's look at the spiritual. What about God? There's this phrase in scripture. It's called, out of Egypt, I have called my son. This is from Hosea 11.1. When Israel, that's another name for Jacob. It's talking about Jacob. When Jacob was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. You understand, Egypt was much more than just a way to save Jacob and his family. God's plan was to use it to bless us all through Jesus. When Pharaoh had his first frightening dreams, you remember those way back then? Your land's going to have terrible famine. When he had his first frightening dreams, he had no idea that the purpose and the goal for God giving him those dreams was to save his soul. See, not only did God love Jacob and Joseph, apparently, he clearly loved Pharaoh as well. Did I just get some of you angry? He loved Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, wants a blessing from Jacob. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. It's pretty amazing. After a flawed life of sinful, dysfunctional living, Jacob somehow fulfills God's pledge to bless the earth through his family and influence, a spiritually starving country far beyond just the borders of his promised land of Canaan, in humble brokenness and in full reliance upon his God, God has used his family, Jacob's family, to bless an unbelieving nation. And I love how Paul describes this. The role of the church in the age of grace, just like the Jacob process. Paul says this, For consider your, for consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, Jacob. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble of birth, Jacob, dirty, filthy shepherd. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no, why? Why does God do this? Why would God use a disgusting shepherd family with a lot of dysfunction? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's the only way it could happen. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Isn't that good? So let's talk about the personal part of this passage. Egypt needs us. Here was the social media campaign from this week that I put up. This is from the Instagram. The world does not know it yet, but its only hope for survival is God working through his people. And I probably could have put next to it, sinful, disgusting, dysfunctional, flawed shepherd people. <laughs> right? See, this is the great thing about how God calls us out of Egypt. We don't need to be special. We don't need to be perfect, not even close. All we need to be to be called out of Egypt and to influence Egypt is to be loved, chosen, and called by a sovereign, gracious, merciful, miraculous, forgiving God. And apparently, all we need to do to be loved and called and redeemed is be dysfunctional, unwise, broken, and in desperate need of transformation and grace. just like Jacob, check, 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 I see you, check I'm all those. <laughs> this is so God's glory, His power and majesty shine through what? Not the talent of His people. No, no. It is through the transformation of His people, not their own glory, but His. So I love this passage in Matthew. Jesus says, "You are the light of the world." A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give you all the credit for all the good things you have done. Is that what it says? In case you were just not listening to me, no. It says, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, I want to bring up this phrase an audience with the redeemed. Just like Pharaoh had an audience with Jacob, I want to talk about the world's audience with the redeemed. Some of you are striving, let me make sure I figure this the best. Some of you are working really hard to get an audience with Egypt, with its money, its power, its possessions, its relationships, its cheap thrills. It's selfishness in your schedule. You are working really hard. I just need to get before the powerful in Egypt so that life will be easier and I can survive. But it's Egypt that actually desperately needs an audience with you. It's the other way around, even though we don't think about it. Egypt needs an audience with you. Flawed undesirable, unwise, dysfunctional, sinful, yet transformed, redeemed, spirit-filled children of God. So our hope doesn't rest in Egypt. You know what? Egypt's hope doesn't even rest in Egypt. Egypt's hope rests in us. It's the nature of the prayer of Jesus when he said, you know, so that all the Father would give in, that has given to him would come to him. He says in John um, 17, 15 to 18, I do not ask, he's talking to his father, Jesus, he's talking to his father, God. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Don't rescue them from Egypt yet, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here's what I'm asking, dad. Don't take them out of the world. Let them stay here. Just protect them from Egypt. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. But separate them, sanctify means separate, separate them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. I have sent them so that Egypt can have an audience with them. And because of all that, we understand, because this is God's plan, this is how he works. He takes sinful, flawed, decrepit, dysfunctional people, disgusting shepherds that we are, and he has designed us to endure. Church, we have been designed, equipped, and called to endure Egypt and our own dysfunction for one purpose, for Egypt's benefit. Yes, it's true. Me, you, especially some of you, are a hot mess. (laughs) It's just that some hot messes are more public than others. You may not think you're a hot mess. If all your stuff was laid bare, trust me, it's a hot, smelly mess. So don't be fooled. But we can be confident in this, that our flaws won't stop his plan of using us in his process. In fact, get this, our stories of transformation And change are far more powerful than perfection could ever dream of being. The flawed, sinful, once murderous Paul understood this so well when he writes to his dear beloved son in the faith, Timothy, He says in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, in other words, God's chosen people, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I'm going through all the things that I've gone through, facing the consequences of my former life, facing the consequences of my current life, all those struggles and burdens that I have, I endure all of them for this reason, because Egypt needs an audience with me. So, we are Egypt's lifeline. So, yes, surviving in Egypt is hard. And our own ridiculousness, frankly, makes it even harder. But, church, this is how God works. Throughout church history, Christians have been a blessing to the world, even in the midst of our own stupid dysfunction. Despite our own sinfulness, God uses his flawed people to bless the world just as he did with Jacob. Church, this is why we continue constantly and strive to endure all the burdens of surviving in Egypt. I know it's hard. I know Egypt is tough. But we will stick with it. Because Egypt needs us. If it's ever going to survive, it needs us. I mean, Egypt sure needed a dysfunctional, unwise, deceitful, flawed, redeemed called Jacob, didn't it? And it needs you. It needs me. It needs the church. So how do we live this? What's the practical application for this? Here's what you do. We will move about daily as we seek to survive Egypt. We will move in humble awe, fully aware that somehow, some way, for some reason, God has taken absolute hot messes like Jacob and you and us. And he makes them spiritually, get this now, he makes them spiritually the most important influence in the world, even if the world doesn't even know it. Dad, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that our impact on Egypt includes, in part of your plan, our ridiculousness. Lord, I pray for some people in this room right now. I don't know what the story is, but some of them are carrying really heavy burdens of guilt, regret, resentment, discouragement, feeling like they've lost opportunities. It's too late for me now. God can never use me. I have too much mess in my life. God, I pray that you would right now, this moment, relieve them of that burden and say, hey, you think you're bad? Oh, look at Jacob. And I pray, God, that this truth about how you use flawed people and their story of transformation, that you would use this example to set us free from that burden that says God could never use people like us. As a matter of fact, God, we're thankful that's the only type of people you use. Lord, help us to endure, because there's a lot of people, depending upon your church, through your grace and calling to come through.